welcome to Deep Spirituality. We're very excited today because we have a guest on who is, uh, I think, one of the more spiritually innovative people that I know and have followed, and I follow on all social media and have kept up with for a while. The inspiration that you're going to receive from today will hopefully lead to you not only just being personally inspired, but being uh, involved in uh, the Ukraine Relief Fund. We'll talk more about that later. Christian Ray Flores is our guest today. Uh, He has a diverse international background, having lived in North and South America, Africa, and Europe. He speaks four languages and has a master's degree in economics. Christian had a successful music career in the 90s in Russia, has co-founded three different companies. The latest is Third Drive. You'll find a link to that in our show notes, focusing on digital media. That's what Third Drive does in venture development. He's worked in ministry around the globe, including Moscow, Russia, Kiev, and Ukraine. His nonprofit, Ascend Mission Fund is lifting children out of poverty in Mozambique through the Ascend Academy and recently launched, he's recently launched the Ukraine Relief Network, providing aid to war refugees in Ukraine. He currently lives in Austin, Texas, with his wife and three daughters. And just for a note, I am very excited about and personally working to raise money for the Ukraine Relief Network. And we hope that you'll uh, take a look at the Ukraine Relief Network and uh, and become someone who's involved on that level with uh, 1.45 million refugees coming out of Ukraine and that number likely to increase. There's a great deal of good work that can be done to help people who don't have anything but have great courage. And we're all inspired by why have I invited Christian on to uh, talk to all of us today? And I know there are a lot of different ones of you. There's uh, spiritual folks. There's Christians. There's really com- church going Christians. There's atheists and agnostics. Listen, and we thank you all for listening. The reason that I uh, uh, I really felt it was important to have Christian on. Uh, we'll read uh, the scripture, First Chronicles twelve thirty two, from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Two hundred chiefs with all their relatives under their command. Uh, Christian, I've watched for a while. He's someone who keeps his uh, his focus on understanding the times we live in and how to make an impact for good and how to make an impact that changes lives. I have a great deal of respect for him, and uh, I'm excited to have you on uh, the show today, Christian. Uh, welcome, and thank you for uh, coming and spending time with us. Thank you for having me, Russ. Appreciate it very much. Uh, I want to get into it pretty quick so that our folks can understand a little bit. Um, what is your connection to Ukraine, and how did you arrive at a decision to lead an effort to provide relief to those experiencing this tragic set of events? Obviously, we know that you led ministry there, but I think it goes a little deeper than that, and so I wanted you to have a shot at uh, telling everybody. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a complicated, uh, sort of confusing person. I'm half Chilean, half Russian, I say usually. But even yeah. the Russian side is more fragmented because my grandmother, my Russian grandmother, you know, was actually a refugee of war oh. with three little girls. My, my mom was one of them. She was leaving on the last train from 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 a little mo- uh, city outside of Moscow under Nazi bombardment. No in 1937, at the same time as my Ukrainian grandfather was fighting in the war, and he went all the way from 1939 to all the way to Berlin in 1945, and his Whoa. his unit, he was a captain of the artillery, artillery he was a part of the siege of Berlin. No so kidding. We, we have deep roots in that, of course. And then on my, my two oldest daughters were born in Moscow. My youngest daughter was born in Kiev. So we have all these layers in our family. That's incredible. Uh, 
And so how do you think people should should view what's going on in Ukraine right now? I talked to a lot of people and most are moved. My mother's been texting me. My mother's 87. She lives in Michigan and she's all riled up about this thing in Ukraine and, and, and what Putin is doing. But I think some, for some people, they have a difficult time processing how to think about it. I've heard some people say, you know, um, we need to go over there and, and do flyovers. And we're not uh, getting political here, folks, in case you're wondering. I'm getting a, per, a spiritual perspective from a uh, Christian. And some people are, hey, we got to raise money, give to the Red Cross. And there's a lot of different kinds of things. And then for a lot of Christians, I think they don't actually know how to think about what we should do, how this should impact our faith. Uh, why is God in control? So any of those things you could speak to, however lengthy or brief would be, I think, encouraging both to me and to those who are listening. Uh, obviously, I have. Thank you for asking, Russ. I've been wrestling with this now for over a week. It's it's felt it feels surreal. It feels impossible. As a matter of fact, to, me, to many of us who have deep roots in, in those cultures, mm-hmm. it uh, like I've t- spoke to more than one person who says, I wake up in the morning and for a second I thought, I think maybe this was just a dream. Wow. Um, because it's just impossible to my, to wrap your mind around it. The, the closest I can get to explaining how that feels is if you imagine our neighbors to the North Canadians, right? And if you imagine, you know, we have differences in with Canadians. We poke fun at each other. There's cultural differences. There's all right. kinds of things like that. And even political and ways to go about life differences. Mm-hmm. But imagine if you go from that to carpet bombing the Canadians. I mean, uh, it would be... It would be almost like a violation of who we are as a people because these are our neighbors, our our brothers, right? Mm -hmm. It's just very, very similar with the Ukrainians. I mean, we share uh, the Slavic language, the Ukrainian and Russian are pretty close to each other. We understand a good portion of it, even if you don't speak the language. Right. There's there's hundreds of years of history, um, hundreds of years of history. So it is an absolute uh, tragedy what's going on right now in Ukraine. Absolute tragedy. Well, it's, I think it's helpful, you know, as uh, having uh, been born in America and grown up here and, but, but having traveled, I think one of the interesting things is we can be so American centric in how we view things that it's important to talk to people. And obviously you're multicultural in every possible way. <laughs> yes, that's um, true. Um, it, it's really helpful to hear that and to hear about the, the, the emotional aspect of it that it's more than just a war on television. And I do think that I'm not always a fan of the media and how they can exaggerate things, but in this particular case, the stories they're telling and the visuals they're giving us, I think it's a lesson for all of us that war is the is in some ways the ultimate evidence of lostness, that, that there's a just a, a complete losing of your way when you decide to attack and to kill. And I think it's important for us to remember both as Americans who we send troops places and, 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 and throughout the world, that it's not a national or international thing that is like a pick a side. It's as a Christian, this represents the ultimate expression of lostness where you destroy and you grab and you take. And I think we see it in the streets of uh, the Tenderloin and San Francisco, you see it in downtown Chicago, the, just the crime. It, it, and so I think it's important for people to realize this is an expression of people not having, being able to find their way. Um, there's a movie I used to like called, uh, I still like it, Chariots of Fire. It's a really old movie. And uh, in one scene, they quote Isaiah 40, which says, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? When did the Lord consult and enlighten him and who taught him the right way? 
who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? And then verse 15, it says, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. I think an important thing that we all have to remember is that God is in control a lot more than we know. He's sovereign, but he does give men free will, but the nations are not nearly as powerful as we think they are. And ideas are powerful. And so I think that the idea you had for the Ukraine relief fund is one of the best I've seen. As we talked before we began recording, it's decentralized. You're just reaching out to people. I love the videos that you make, by the way. I should, I, I, should, I watched one twice, I think, just because you're, you have good style. Let me just put it that way. But how did you come up with this idea that I'll create a decentralized way of doing it and a way to get directly to people? That's something I think people should understand. There's not levels here of, of, of administrative people that are all, you know, it's you getting right on the ground and putting, if I can say this, putting money directly in the pockets of people who are losing their homes and, and losing their ability to afford things. How did you come up with the idea? Like, what was your processing? I realized that you watched and you got moved, but there was this thing of, I could just go to somebody who's already doing it. I could just yes. go to the Red yes. Cross, but I did this and I loved it and my friends love it and are giving to it. But tell me, what was the processing of it? So the process was I after two days of despair, you know, of just disbelief um, and it sort of wore off. I had I, I wanted to do something. It's sort of the, the entrepreneurial side of me kicked in. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're sort of a little crazy, right? So you try <laughs> to find, you know, you try to find solutions to problems that's essentially in your bones. Yes. yes. And, and, and even just as a side note, what we do in Third Drive, part of it is venture development. So we basically help startups get better, get funded, get capital, right? get fundable even in the first place. So when you are in that mode all the time with people solving problems and, and figuring things out and tweaking things, you sort of get... Uh, almost like a muscle memory. So what I saw on the ground was, okay, they're talking about a, you know, a million displaced internationally, there's a whole, there's an, another million stuck in Ukraine, right? And mm. these are men, women, older uh, uh, people, uh, children, some of them with no transportation. A lot of these people don't have any reserves financially, uh, right. financially at all. So what they're, they're, they're stuck in their apartment. They're stuck, um, if they're lucky enough to get out of of this of the of the cities that are being bombarded right now, which is a whole bunch of them, they make their way um, into a, a, a relative's apartment or a village, rent a room. They sort of find clusters of people that sort of band together, and, and right. they're running out of everything. They're running out of food. They left with the clothes on their backs. They've been, mm. they spent before that maybe four or five days in a bomb shelter yeah. in a cold. This is sub-zero temperature right now in right. Ukraine, right? Uh, in a bomb shelter, and then they have to run because it get, it's getting worse and worse and worse and things are getting destroyed. And you can see just beyond the rockets, you start getting machine gun fire and tanks in the streets and things like that and street to street fighting. So right. they just, when there's a, a calm in between battles, they just get out. But when they get out, where do they go? They go to a relative, a friend, a, a, a group of friends. They band together in groups of 10, 15, 20 people in an apartment, two apartments, a house in the village somewhere, somewhere around, away from the destruction. Right. And they don't have any reserves. So they have, they run out of, they, they don't have warm clothes. They run out of gas. Even to get to a place yeah, because of the, imagine 2 million people trying to get out, right? Yes. Uh, it takes three, four days to take, to get a car to go somewhere safe to get it to a oh. destination. So this, and they have to warm the cars as they're traveling because it's cold out. Right. So they're running out of gas. 
right there in the moment, running out of food right there in the moment. They get there. A friend of mine is in, in a house with 20 people sleeping on the floors. He's in the, in the basement uh, warming the, the house with wood. Oh. So he doesn't even sleep. Every two hours, he puts wood, more wood to warm up the house. Everybody else can be warm. Right. So these are just, these are the problems that we have. So, and I thought, okay, these people are not, have no access to the UN or to the Red Cross. We'll wait for them o- over the over the border somewhere. Yes. Somewhere yes. like Slovakia or Warsaw, like Poland or um, Moldova, for example. Yes. They're in, they're, they're these clusters of people in despair. So basically I thought, okay, we need to figure out, I was actually thinking of crypto and we do some crypto projects here and there right. going, okay, so let's find some people that we trust, reliable people who have a reputation mm-hmm. and let's call them nodes, right? Yeah. Node one, node two, node three, node four. Right. And let's talk to them and let's figure it out. Let's get their wiring information and then they will, will, will network with everybody through WhatsApp and all these apps, Telegram. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where are you? What do you need? How much of it? What's the approximate amount? That kind of thing. Right. And then they, they sort of verify with each other. So we have this process of the nodes verifying with each other. Okay. Is this an appropriate amount? Do we know these people uh, personally? Yeah. Um, okay, are we in agreement that this is the, 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 the help they need? So the, the nodes basically communicate to us and there's a special sort of process for that. Right. Sure. And then we accumulate those those requests, and then we send wires to the nodes, and then the nodes drop small amounts uh, to individuals and groups and clusters of individuals through like a local PayPal or Zelle type. Yeah, system. yeah. So that, essentially, that's how we came up with it because it's just immediate. It's very, very quick and very <laughs> granular. You make it you make it sound so simple, but it is so complex and powerful. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. I, I I like the fact that you make it sound simple so everybody can understand it. Because so, I, what I'm doing is I'm visualizing while you're describing this, and I'm yeah. thinking about the intricacies, the the, the relationships, and uh, probably before we're out of here, I'll ask you a little bit about this decentralized model of thinking and how it applies to Christians, how it applies to churches, just right here in the way we live. Because you've gotten yeah. so much done, because there isn't a ton of red tape. You're not, you know, there's no politics involved. This is about. How do we how do we help people right now? Precisely. And it's not about what your position is, what your role is. It's about, you know, how do we help people right now? And I love it. And I love how your mind works. You'd fit right in. I know you already know this. You'd fit right in here. Uh, you chose <laughs> Austin, but we'll deal with that later and, 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 and get you to the get you to the ultimate place one day. Um, so here's the thing for our listeners is, is they're contemplating making an impact to help Ukrainians, they can give, I think, any amount, right? Any amount makes a big difference. It's not Absolutely. about, yeah, yeah $1, so, so $100, it doesn't matter. The way I explain it is that you can do three things. You can join the network, right? And give, um, you can you can also expand the network, right? By maybe if you have a, an organization, a company, a group of companies, a church, a nonprofit who can become a partner, you yeah. know? Um, and you can sort of share share the word. You can explore. You can you can amplify the network just by resharing the stories um, with a link, with a quick story. And we're getting these these reports from the ground, like a picture 
and five people in, 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 a, in a bomb shelter. And we say, this is who they are. And this is what they need. Uh, now we're getting short videos, right? Uh, one of the stories that I just love from, from the last three days, that's how quickly this thing is developing yeah. and how quickly we can get help to them. Apparently there's a, there's a, there's a group of, of, of very brave men who happen to have like a minivan, you know, something that can okay. carry maybe seven, eight people. Mm-hmm. And they're basically uh, took it upon themselves to to go in back into Kiev, into the hot spots, Whoa. and and grab um, a family of you know uh, that can't really get out on their own. You know, transportation is disrupted, and they pick them up and they just ferry them to the train station or to a bus station to a, another safe place, and they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. These guys, I mean, so so brave, yeah. and they're the the gas is expensive it's rare you have to find it so we're getting them gas so they can do their job right mm. um i just love those stories yes. because they're so immediate and so instant yeah they've they, those are those are powerful you know it, it's interesting and i i um I'm, i love history so i read a lot of it and uh one of my favorite periods which may sound strange to people out there is the russian revolution just because it was uh it was it was radical for that time all that happened and painful uh, and then Stalin's period. But the one thing I see, and I think sometimes as Americans, we don't understand is the tenacity of the Ukrainian and the Russian people, you know? And I think sometimes too, people have to understand that what leaders do doesn't necessarily respect, reflect what people believe or what people want. And I think there's a tendency and you may be able to speak to this uh, for, for a Western Westerner to think, well, all the Russians are bad and they're all wicked and they're all evil and they're all doing this instead of understanding that there are geopolitical things going on. And so you always want to have, I think, empathy and compassion on people, obviously Ukrainians, because they're going through one of the worst things I've seen in my lifetime uh, as far as just the 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 uh, vicious assault on 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 their lives, you know, and I don't think they were doing anything necessarily I don't think we're doing anything to warrant it. But I also think that culturally, sometimes as Americans, I break people down. I break it down into some of us are monocultural. We have one culture. We're just, that's it. That, you know, one color, one language, one, you know, some of us are bicultural. You know, we may be able to travel in two circles (laughs) Uh, that others of us are multicultural. And so sometimes we can read things incorrectly because we maybe don't have the multicultural experience. What I'd like you to speak to a little bit, both for any of our listeners and, and is, is to how do you, how should they be looking at this and trying to understand this? Obviously there's compassion on the Ukrainians, no question and a desire to help, but also a sense of let's not color every Russian with the idea that they wanted this to happen. And this is just the way the world works. Leaders can do things that maybe the people don't. Does that make sense? Am I asking that question? Well, it does. Yes, it does. And you know, I, I don't think I've, in my wildest dreams, I imagine myself answering it this way to peace loving Russians who understand the sort of the, the madness of the regime. It, it feels like they're in Germany in 1937. Okay. That's how it feels like to them. Yeah. It's, there's a whole slew of people that are perhaps brainwashed um, and actually are for the war. And then there's those who understand the, they understand the wider world. Right? Yeah. And they're in tears, sick to their stomach, ashamed. And they feel that 
Russia, the, Russia and Russians will never be perceived the same again, ever. Mm. It, it, take, it will take decades for this to be washed away by, by a lot of goodwill and a, a lot of effort, right? Um, that's probably the best I can explain it. And uh, it, it even sickens me to say that, to even make the comparison, but I'm afraid the comparison is appropriate. Yeah, well, you know, in, in today we're recording this in audio, so people can't see you, but I can tell people out there that the I can see the conflict within you in trying to describe it, although your answer is beautiful. I think it's a difficult topic for me even to ask the question because I am not from that part of the world and I don't personally understand everything that goes mm -hmm. on, but I know what goes on in America and I think we're polarized right now. and. There's yes. a level of viciousness that can exist. And, and that's why I think that we have to all think in terms of lostness and that when, and, and in my view, and, and that doesn't have to be your view. If you're listening, you, it's fine with me for you to be an agnostic an atheist, or, you know, I'm not sure a person that's all good. But for me, I think that when you look at God and you see where he, what he can do for people in creating compassion, uh, a desire for love, a desire for peace, um, a desire for restraint, then it, it inspires me to have faith and to believe, but it's also a reason why I I have deep spirituality because I, I think the more spiritual people become, the more they humanize each other. And some of war is really about dehumanization. It's about not seeing people as people. Uh, and one of the things that's been said that is not true is that there's a Nazi element to Ukraine as a reason for the attack mm -hmm. when the president is Jewish. But here's the thing that really threw me for a loop. Uh, 538, uh, you may be familiar with it. It's a polling organization. It's been one of the premier ones for a long time, but they uh, made a note in their recent podcast, uh, is Putin actually popular in Russia that he has a 71% approval rating in Russia right now. And, and I think that, that, that underscores what you said, that there are certain people who he has control of the media. They don't get to see the whole story. Now I've traveled internationally and back in, I'm older. So back in the eighties, when I was traveling to, um, Africa, in particular South Africa during apartheid, I remember landing there and I was a little bit in shock because it was a world that I had only heard about and not seen. What I mean by that, my parents grew up in Jim Crow. Uh, my grandparents grew up obviously in, in, in the kind of post reconstruction kind of oppression for black people that involved in tremendous amount of lynching. And so I never saw that, but my, my, my parents and grandparents would told me the stories. So they were always, you can't, you can't forget this history. Uh, and the connection comes at this. So when I landed in South Africa in the eighties, it was apartheid where black people were doing all the menial labor things and they were basically oppressed. I was called as an African-American, I was called an honorary white person in order for me to stay at the hotels with everybody else because I was an American. Um, I think sometimes we can forget that conflicts are part of of this world and that uh, whether it's racism or it's a, uh, a, a prejudice toward a certain particular ethnic group, uh, that's all put it all packed all into what we what we see and experience in history. So when you compare it to the 1930s, it can sound really radical to people. But I think when we really take a look at it and you say, well, OK. When you get into areas like genocide, when you get into areas like wiping a certain group out, well, you're in that land, you're in that space. And it's really hard for us in 2022 to think that's possible because we thought, oh, we figured it all out. 
we solved the problem. Yes. The wall came down in Berlin, so it's all good now. And I mm -hmm. think this is just the perpetual battle that we experience. Spiritually speaking, one of the things I'm impressed by, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little segue to talk about Christianity and, and church. You have done, you're in Austin, Texas, as we talked about, and you're a minister there, which I love, you know, I, I, I've launched a couple of entrepreneurial ventures here. And then I also, you know, do this in the spirituality side. I, I'm impressed by how you have approached even Christianity, I think, from an innovative and entrepreneurial point of view. And you in Austin, Texas, I'm going to ask you about this. You have a group called Tribe. And I don't know a ton about it because I see things, uh, I see the kind of cool stuff you guys do. What is your process on that? And I want to tell you why I'm asking, because I think one of the things we can learn from you today, Christian, is not only how to help the Ukrainians, but spiritually how to help ourselves. And in particular, if we're Christian, why innovation, we even within our faith is so important and I'd like you to speak to that for a minute, because I think sometimes we can get wrapped up in traditions. We can get wrapped up in rules. We can get wrapped up in yesterday and not push the envelope to say, what can we do to make, I'm going to just say, spirituality and God more attractive to more people. And to me, it seems like, I mean, if I didn't live here, I'd be down there with you uh, mm -hmm. uh, listening to you, because I think it's the kind of place I'd be happy. But tell me a little bit about your thinking on that. Well, the backstory is that I was, um, we moved stateside um, because of some health issues, I'm married an American. Her name is Deb DeFlores, and she lived. We had all of our children over there. You know, two in Russia, one in Ukraine, and um, we moved stateside. You know, I wanted to deconstruct my spirituality at some point. You know, I you know it's sort of the classic midlife crisis. Uh, only a positive instead of getting a Ferrari and start dating your your you know secretary, you actually go deeper into the Word of God and really relearn prayer and and figure out your foundation. That was sort of my goal, right? Love it. I just wanted I to it. I wanted I wanted to be transformed for the next twenty years. That's awesome. what I, basically that was sort of my heart. And so in LA, I did a lot of just reshuffling, reconstructing my game, essentially spiritually speaking. So okay. I and I landed on some some you know, spiritual practices, and and I just emerged from this oh, this almost dark dark night of the soul type period with just so much faith and excitement and a renewed delight in God and being the son of God and being a Christian and what mm -hmm. the, the role of the church in this world um, that I basically, you know, I just had this dream of planting a church and making it something very specific, you know, um, I love marketing, as you probably know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, th there's a there's a saying by Seth Godin, uh, who is a marketing guru, and he says, you know, be a meaningful, specific, not a wandering generality. <laughs> and 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 I just wanted to be uh, I wanted to plant a church and for it to be a meaningful, specific, not just just another church. Right? Yes. Uh, um, and and basically that's where the 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 name tribe came out of. It's it's what if we got together and we said, okay, your journey, my journey, our journey has brought us here. And what if God can use, the Holy Spirit can use us to form a, an, an identity for this, this particular group for very specific reasons. So we yeah. had these sort of meetings every other Friday called Tribe Fridays. And we gathered in, in our be, uh, living room at a rented apartment. And uh, we just sort of dreamed together. And then out of that came uh, what we called and ended up calling the tribe ethos, which uh -huh. is like a deck of 33 
slides sort of evolved over time. It wasn't that sophisticated in the beginning, yeah. but it was just very specific thing. And it, it was, a lot of it had to do with a authenticity to the place that we are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so not basically bringing people over the bridge to us, but going over the bridge to them. I love right? it. So I had, we, we had this, I use this term cause I like wine. Uh, terroir is a French term that basically means the taste of the place. Oh boy. So, Oh boy. So, every, so every, every wine has a terroir. So it's a combination, this magical combination of the soil, the sun, the moisture, the minerals, it's a terroir. Okay. So I'm like, okay, what is the plate, the taste of this place, Austin, Texas, right? It's weird. Is it's sort of eclectic. It's a blue uh, city in a red state. It's, it's business, it's tech, it's music. And what, what, how can we as a church reflect that? Yeah. And, and actually love that, embrace yeah. that. So that was sort of one of the things. Um, and, and it's basically, and even within, inside Tribe, we adopted this decentralized model, right? It's, you know, we have small groups, right? And, yes. and we do life in small groups. And, but there's no hierarchical uh, structure. It's flat. Yeah. And we just say, look, here are the principles in scripture. Um, manifest your faith in your particular way, right? Yeah. So we sort of revised this idea of the, of the, of the calendar. We decluttered the calendar. So there's, you know, the meet, what we call the meetings of the body are like one is on Sunday and another one is, you know, your small group. And we yeah. want to do have that rhythm, right? So it's significant to have a rhythm, but you don't want to clutter your, your calendar with things that are sort of obligational things, right? Yes. And then, but you are expected to live out your life every day as a, as a, in your manifestation of faith. Yes. So even how you pick a small group change. So all of it was basically decentralized. All of it was free completely. And, um, we talk about it. So, but it's very, very specific. So it's very uh, meaningful, specific rather than sort of chaos, whatever go, anything goes. Right. Yes. Um, so that's a set and sort of that thinking that is very intentional. Um, it, it attracts some people that are our tribe, you know, we, mm -hmm. because we don't say, Hey, this is the way we're just saying this is a way. Yes. Right. Yes. Of being. Yeah. So, so even it, it makes it very easy with love to say, Hey, please don't join us. If this is not your, you know, cup of tea. Yes. Yes. Um, so it attracts some people tremendously. So there are people that moved to be with us, yes. you know, because yes. they like the culture. And then there's some others who are like, yeah, I'm not feeling this, which was, Fine. No judgment yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah. So it's sort of, that's sort of the general idea. So there's a lot of ideas of decentralized in like, an, and we even call it where network more, more of a network than a hierarchy, you know? Yeah. So we have all these specific terms to describe the culture, um, for people to be buy into it or say no to. Well, it's interesting because I think that's one of the reasons when you were sharing with me about the, uh, uh Ukraine relief network, that I was, I was interested in it because there's a, you know, there's a lot of relationships I have, you know, globally than a lot of organizations I'm connected to. But I think what I sensed was, okay, this is one that is just that, that Christians created with his, his team and his friends. And that attracts me. It's not, it's not someone saying I have to give to it. It's not one saying it's the only way to do it, but it's someone describing, here's what we're trying to accomplish and what we're accomplishing and allows me to buy in because I believe in it. Um, yeah. I, I think as it, in, in my view, you know, whether it's your approach that you're taking in Austin, which sounds really attractive to me, or it's another approach. My main thing is whatever we do spiritually, we should be innovative. When I look at Paul in the Bible, and a lot of people are familiar with him. I see an innovator. I see someone who God sent to Gentiles, which were a whole new brand of 
of individual personality and culture for someone Jewish in his case, or the church to come in contact with. And I think the world is changing today and it's always changing, but I think it's changed in its interests. And most of the statistics I see say people, they believe in God, but they don't believe in church. And I put that in quotes, Mm -hmm. meaning that they're looking for something different than what has been existing. And I think it's difficult sometimes for Christians to understand that different doesn't mean compromised. It means innovative. It means experimental. And it doesn't have to always work. I tell people when I'm working with uh, uh, the the church, I tell them, you know, failure is part of the path to success. And so don't be afraid to try things. And I, I see that in you and I sense that in you. And someone may be saying, well, how does this have to do with a spiritual innovative plan for the Ukraine relief? It's because what you've done, Christian, and I really, really respect it. And I want to I wanted to, to tell you that here, I've, I've, I'll say that anytime off of the mic as well, that there's a spirituality in you and an innovativeness in you that I wish we all could have and possess and a security to do that. And it may be that what I do is different than what you do or what someone else does is different than what you and I do. But to me, the key is, are we spiritual and are we innovative about it? Uh, when I look at what, what's happening on the ground in Ukraine, it seems to me, and I've never been to Ukraine, uh, it seems to me that that's a people who know how to innovate. That's a people who know how to adapt. Can you speak to that for just a second and tell me what is it about the culture there? What Because I think a lot of us look and see the courage of the people. My mom sent me a text and she said, I just saw that a boy traveled 600 miles because his mother had to stay behind and he had to get you know, uh, uh, get out of Ukraine. He traveled 600 miles by himself between the ages of eight and 10 and made it. And I think there's something special about a people who have that kind of courage. And I'm just wondering what's that culture. And is it part of what made you the innovative person you are today? You know, I'm not sure what made me that. I think honestly, it's the multi- multiculturalism because ah. I basically, you know, you, some, I have a theory. It might not be true, but um, I, my first childhood memories were in a UN refugee camp. Okay. Um, I was five years old and my, my da- dad was in a concentration camp in Chile after the military coup there. And we were trapped there and me and my, my sister and my mom and, and he, when he was released, thankfully, um, well, many people were, did not make it. We were yeah. in a UN refugee camp and it just sent us, it's like complete despair, zero future you're kicked out of the country, oh. thankfully alive. And it sent us traveling. So we went to Germany, got asylum in, in Munich. And then mom wanted to go to Russia for a little bit. We ended up in Africa. So I basically learned four languages by age nine. And whoa, when, when that happens, you know, early on in your life, it forces you to want to adapt and to almost like be the sponge. So that's my theory. My, my theory is that it's because it's such a early age experience, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. quick Yeah. Um, that you, I feel like it was sort of ingrained, right. Or gifted to me in the, in the middle of a lot of pain also, but it was gifted to me, this ability to learn culture, to be fluent between cultures, you know, Yes. Um, and I think that's a, I, my my theory is that that's where the innovation comes from is, you know, my dinner table mm. um, in Africa, we would sit and my dad would say something in Spanish. My mom would answer in Russian without blinking an eye. <laughs> you know? That's amazing. And, and then my sister and I could pick between those two or Portuguese and we could just go back and forth about it, you know. 
uh, without blinking an eye. It was just normal, right? Yeah. Um, So I think that's where it comes from. Now, to the Ukrainian people, I think there there are differences between Russians and Ukrainians. Interesting because they have common ethnic flows and um, sort of the family of languages is a Slavic language. But they are, for some reason, they're spunkier, they're more independent, more fiercely sort of free okay, than, okay. than the Russian culture. So Russian culture is a bit, bit more hierarchical historically. Yeah. Um, and um, and the, the Ukrainians were, were not. So the Ukrainians were very, were famous for doing all kinds of random things when the Nazis invaded, for example. Some of them were, were for the Nazis. Some of them went into the woods and just fought to the death and, you know, just harassed the Germans, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, so it's just a very interesting nation that way. Um, but to give you, to give you a, I have a friend who is a true Ukrainian and he's, uh, I, if you go to christianrayflores.com, I have a newsletter there and, and I mentioned him a couple of times. We've been friends for 20 years. He's one of the most famous journalists in Russia and Ukraine. Whoa. Uh, um, and f- beginning from the nineties. So he was in my wedding. We've been friends for 20, plus, 25 years now. And he was forced out of Russia because of his freedom loving rhetoric, his fiery sort of character. And so he's been, um, he's been a, a fierce anti-Putin critic okay. um, uh, for years now out of Ukraine because he was forced out basically. Ah. So, so he came and visited here in Austin and everything. So when this thing happened, I was really worried. So I call him, I've called him every day since the whole thing started. And for the longest time, he was right uh, outside of Kiev, very close in the suburbs, and he wouldn't leave. And, and, and he has the means, he's actually a wealthy guy, famous guy, wealthy guy. He was just there. Wow. And, I, and I'm like, Matvey, what is wrong with you? You know, you know there, this is a, a confirmed fact that the, the Russian army has a kill list of undesirable people they want to take out. Yes. And I can guarantee you, you're one of them. Okay. Right. Like, cause you're famous, famous for being up, opposed to Putin, right? You have <laughs> yeah. to be, you, you are on the list, right? <laughs> Most likely than that. Yeah. And he was just so dismissive. He goes like, no, we're not, we're going to kick him, but kick their butts. And that, this was early on when, when it was a, it was a basically a widely accepted fact that Kiev is going to fall. Right. And he was like, it's not going to fall. You don't know these people. He told me, you don't, wow. you don't, you don't know these guys. They're going to, they're going to take up arms and they, they're going to fight and I said, well, they can't fight. This is 200, 190,000 Russians, right. the trained army. Right. He goes, they have no idea what they're fighting. That's what he told me. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't leave, right? Wow. And he would come out. He would show me video and he would come out of the, his house and you could see, you could hear the bombs and the machine gun. He goes, yeah, it's probably within a mile of my house right now, this thing, right? And he showed me, he has, he has the only basement in this little subdivision. He's the only one with the basement. So his basement with, was filled with, with children of the neighborhood. Wow. And I would just call him every go and I go, Matvey, you have to go. And he goes, I can't, there's, first of all, he was like, no, I'm not going to leave. Then he goes, there's no gas, actually. You can't even get gas. I can't get out. Eventually it got so bad um, that, and he continued to broadcast from, from that home. That into is the world, incredible. You know, um, and true. And, you know, he was right. Uh, they, they, there's footage of them bringing boxes and boxes of machine guns and, and guns and things like that. And the, actually the spot where, where they were distributing those were, was the neighborhood where I lived, which is oh, very surreal to see, whoa, you yes. know? 
so he was telling me these updates from the ground and he says, he says, look, they, they brought 30,000 machine guns and they ran out of guns. Whoa. They ran out of guns in, in a matter of two, three days. And he then, then he goes, the Russians can, are attempting to come in and, and they're being fired at from every direction. They're being hunted. He goes, and then when they take them, they feed them, you know, they take care of them. You're kidding. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy stories. It is so crazy. So it's an illustration of a true Ukrainian guy, right? Who is, has the pulse of the nation. And I even didn't have it. I was like, no, there's no way they're going to take it. Um, and then eventually he got out. Um, he I called him and he's in the car. He's been, he was in the car for like seven hours or nine hours. And he's now in Lviv in West Ukraine and he's already broadcasting from there. Right. So that guy. is, the, that is a spirit of the Ukrainian people. I really honestly think they have a shot at, at, at not allowing the, the full invasion to happen. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it's yeah. definitely going to be very, even if they take Kiev, they can't hold Kiev that way. There's no right. way. Well, it's, you know, a lot of times uh, when we hear stories uh, on the news, of course, they're very impersonal because we don't, the, the, the newscast person is either just there to make a report or the anchor is just talking about someone he doesn't know. To hear you talk about someone that you know, and to hear his language, his perspective is an attitude. It is both inspiring and it's mind opening because I think living in America where we really don't have any clue, I think, how safe we are on a daily basis, mm. it's incredible to see the courage and and, and I think the faith of, of the people you're talking about. I think for those who worry, and I think a lot of us worry about, you know, are we headed toward World War III and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I want to just quote Daniel 4.37 in the NIV. It's a great story. You can go back and read the book of Daniel, and particularly read chapter four. It's about a great and powerful king who was humbled. And the king changed his mind and turned himself around. He's Nebuchadnezzar. I know Christians are very familiar with him. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I think prayer makes a difference and however you might do it, whether you're Christian or you're not praying that there'll be peace can make a huge difference. I also think instead of panicking, we have to remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, four, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Unlike some people, I'm not talking about end times. I'm talking about Jesus simply describing that we're living in a world where there's going to be turbulence. And so I want to get you out of here on this. You and I messaged back and forth, and then I watched a video you created. And by the way, you really want to check out Third Drive, and you really want to check out all the work that Christian's doing. I've had a lot of fun um, following him, but also recently watching uh, some of the items. And uh, you sent a very cool video out that I got in my LinkedIn mailbox. Uh, really, really well done, by the way. I mean, just you have tremendous skill. And I looked up and I saw a prince in the background and I said, hey, I know that guy. And <laughs> I would. Uh, and of course, I think I, I told you that uh, uh, we need to have on the other side, Bruce Springsteen, one of my favorites. Um, but I'm not sure there's been a greater innovator in music than Prince. And so I've got to ask you about that. Maybe we'll get on a little lighter note as we get out. You were yeah. an entertainer in the 90s and you have Prince. So I'm drawing connections. What is it about Prince and you and entertainment that you also think has 
affected you as a spiritual man, uh, as a father, friend, as a husband? Like, is there a connection there? Because that that picture is prominent and it, and it speaks volumes, but I want to make sure I'm interpreting it correctly. And I think it'd be fun to know. So before I before the fall of the Soviet Union, and I was sort of privileged enough, I was very different uh, multicultural, and that was actually my um, competitive advantage as a, as a musician because I had grown up overseas, and the music that I did uh, was uh, after the fall of the of the of the of the Soviet Union was in high demand. So the Western sounding R and B pop. Um, was in high demand and I knew how to do that because it was sort of in my veins, right? Okay, okay. Uh, so so I, I that was sort of my competitive advantage at the time. Uh, uh, but before that, before the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, I was still in high school and we had, I, I was part of a sort of an English emphasis school and we would have exchange students come out, uh, come out and visit. And I was with, I, my English was better than most. So I would be selected as sort of the, the host to show people around. And there was this kid, an American kid who uh, had a Walkman. I had a Walkman as well. And most Russians didn't have a Walkman. And he, so we, he and I bonded because we would just give each other things to listen to. Uh-huh. And he had a tape of Purple Rain. Oh boy. The, yeah. And I remember listening to it, we're walking around and I go, this is insane. This is, this is a whole different world of music. And, and he actually gave me, gave me the tape. And at the time there was no access to Prince anywhere. I mean, actually there was no access to any music anywhere. I just had my, my, my ways to do it, but Prince hadn't even arrived yet. He wasn't even the radar. Yeah. And, uh, that's how my love affair with the, with the music of Prince, uh, started. I think it did influence me tremendously. And I, um, I think he, I think just his disregard with it's almost he's above culture, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. he's not white, he's not black, he's Prince, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's the artist, yeah. Um, and music is his playground, and I thought that was just very few people knew how to do that. I think yeah, just you know, it's almost like it's, you can reach escape velocity from the constraints of your of your of your culture right your specific culture you reach escape velocity and then you create freely on a very different level and there are people that do that and uh, prince was one of them michael jackson was another one wow uh, i love it i love it well it those of you who've been listening to despirituality today i know you're encouraged and i am inspired personally uh christian and i have known each other sort of indirectly and distantly, but never had a real great time to sit down. This is a tremendous conversation for me personally. He's an innovator. He's an entrepreneur. He's a spiritual leader. Third Drive is his current company. The Ukraine Relief Network is what we've talked about. If you'd like to get involved with the Ukraine Relief Network, you can go to the show notes. You'll get all the links. Christian's provided us with some links. We're going to make sure they're in there. Christian, I hope we can continue to talk and be in communication. Uh, thank you for spending the time and for just opening our eyes to all kinds of things that this is, I'm sure, going to be one of our favorite podcasts that we've had in some time. Uh, so this is Spirituality. Remember, for those of you listening, uh, to give us five stars. Uh, we always like that. If you didn't like it as much because of me, I know you like Christian, still give us five stars. We appreciate that. And you can find all kinds of content for reading, uh, for watching uh, at our Spirituality site.